and there is lots of energy in the room. We, uh, I don't think, I think everybody got here uh, pretty much on time. And uh, so if somebody uh, walks in here in about 20 minutes, we'll know that they didn't get the memo. Uh, we can just yell, surprise. Um, but, uh, but, but it is the, the, the summer calendar. I, I know summer's busy for a lot of people, but it is a little it is a little slower, you know. There, there's not that that homework to uh, to wrestle with the kids. There's not that bedtime. There's not that get up time, uh, get out of the house kind of time. Um, and so it is a little slower pace. And so we wanted to kick that slower pace off, which is having the kids in the room and, like Caleb said, to to give them a glimpse of what it's you know what they can look forward to and uh, give them a glimpse of who uh, how we worship as 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 uh, you know teenagers and adults. And so. Um, and thank you for uh, being a church that uh, that's not too far out of the norm that we can do that. And uh, one thing that, uh, that we have as a resource for, uh, for the summer is we have this, this uh, foundations book. And it's uh, just uh, 12 biblical truths to shape the family. And there's a devotional for each day. I would, uh, nobody's going to do it. Let's just be real. Nobody's going to do it every day. And that's fine. And so they have 12 uh, devotionals for 12 weeks. Uh, and in my house, that's probably about three years of devotionals. Okay. Uh, I mean, if we're just being honest, okay. So I uh, want to encourage you. We, we have, we probably have 20 of them out here. Uh, we have them for sale for $20 uh, or you can go on Amazon and probably get them for $17.99 or something like that. So uh, if you're interested in a resource uh, to do over the summer with your family, each one is short um, it has a, just a couple of discussion questions. We want to encourage you to do that. We're going to attempt to do it with our family. Um, and uh, so we'll, you know, I'll tell you at the end of the summer how the first three went. So in that. But, but anyway, want to encourage you uh, to do that. Maybe take advantage of, uh, of this time, this summer, and see if we can incorporate some different rhythms in, our, in the life of our family. So, um, well, we are in the middle of our series in John. And we're looking at the life of Jesus and the life that he calls us to as his, as his disciples, as his followers, as his students. And uh, what we're going to see today is this uh, mindset from, from people um, that we definitely see back then, but we also see today. And this mindset is that, um, you know, good things should happen to good people, that if you live a good life, you'll have a good life. And that, that's kind of what people thought back then, as we're going to see in the scriptures you kind of saw in the video. Um, but people thought and still do today, hey, if, if I live a good life or try to live a good life and try to do good things for people, then I'll have a good life. And if I'm a Christian and I live a good life, then God owes me a good life. And there's this kind of that, this worldview that uh, is right under the current of, of what we think. And so, and that... That may or may not work for us, but, but it definitely doesn't work when suffering hits. And, uh, and if we really think about it, that, that, that is not a promise that Scripture gives us, that if we live a good life, we'll have a good life. Okay? In fact, anything, uh, Scripture doesn't promise that at all. Um, but what we see today is, um, you know, how are we to view our suffering? That, that what are we supposed to look at? What are we supposed to embrace? What are we supposed to set our eyes and our focus on in life, especially when suffering comes our way? Because suffering will come our way. And so uh, what we're going to see today is this guy who discovered that, that his suffering wasn't pointless. 
Now, now just to kind of, you know, I, all of us get on the same page. How many of you have ever just experienced a, maybe a physical suffering, a, an emotional suffering, you know, some type of suffering in your life. Anybody ever experienced? Okay, a good majority of us, okay, have experienced suffering in our lives. And, and when we go through suffering, the natural question to ask is why? You know, why am I going through this? And what today's passage shows us is that where um, where we need to focus, especially when we're suffering, but it also shows us that our suffering is not pointless. And God will not waste even one tear or one ounce of pain. And we also kind of get to see secondary, is that we don't have to understand everything about God to believe in something about God. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 9 as we continue our uh, walk through John. John chapter 9, if you didn't bring your Bibles, we're going to put it up on the screen for you. But uh, really today, I just want to kind of walk through the story and kind of make a couple of comments. And then uh, the band will come back here and uh, lead us in a response time. But uh, the story just kind of stands for itself uh, stands on its own. And I just want to read the story and we'll pull out some points uh, as we go along. So John chapter 9 is a story of Jesus healing this blind man. So verse 1 says, as he, that's Jesus, went along, he saw a man a blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, which means teacher. And here we see this, this worldview that they have and that culture had, um, is that who sinned this man or his parents, that he would be born blind. Again, they thought, you know, if you lived a good life, you would have a good life. And if somebody did something wrong, then, um, you know, you would pay for it physically. And so, you know, they thought that, you know, physical suffering meant that you were paying for your sin or you were paying for somebody else's sin. Verse, chapter 3, or verse 3 says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened... So that, let's say those two words together. So that, let's say it again. So that, all the kids with me, say this with me. So that, okay, that's really important, okay? Underline that, we're gonna come back to that. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So what Jesus is saying here is that this isn't about someone's sin. This this isn't about his sin. This isn't about somebody else's sin. This is about God's power. This is about God showing his power to this man and to those that were around him. And we know that because of this key phrase that we just all said together, which is what, kids? So that. And what that means is there's intent here. That there's intent that God wants to use our suffering Somehow, some way, for our good and his glory. That he wants to use our suffering to, to accomplish his purpose in our life. And what's his purpose? Is to transform us into the image of his son so that, so that God is on full display in our lives at work, at school, when we're on our soccer team or baseball team or volleyball team or uh, we're at our neighbor's house or our neighbors are at our house, that God's purpose for us, his plan for us is to transform us so that we begin to look like, act like, talk like, love like, serve like, give like Jesus in all arenas of our lives. And so, so the, the purpose here is so that the intent is that God wants to use this man's suffering to 
to show his to show God's power in his life and those that are around him. Verse four says, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. And while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, remember, Jesus is this master teacher. And what Jesus is saying, he keeps using this phrase, I'm the light of the world. And what he is saying there is that I'm really the living hope. I'm the only hope you have because this world is a dark world. Now, it wasn't created that way. God didn't create it that way. That was not part of the original design. But when sin and rebellion entered into the world, so did evil. And so did suffering. And so did, uh, so did sickness and disease and poverty and hatred and, and races. All this kind of stuff entered into the world. But, but Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. I'm your only hope. I'm the one person who gives light to, to the darkness. Now, when his audience, when Jesus' audience heard this, and Jesus said, you know, I'm the light of the world, they're like, <laughs> you're not the light of anything. I mean, Rome, that's the light of the world. Greek philosophy, that's the light of the world. Jesus, you're just a carpenter from this small town in the armpit of Israel. You're a nobody. And then Jesus does this remarkable thing to demonstrate who he was. Verse 6 says, After saying this, Jesus spit on the ground and made some mud, mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Now, this word made is the Greek word for, for need, like you, would, uh, like you would make a dough for bread. And, uh, and so that would be considered work, which was a no no on the Sabbath. But, but think about this for a minute, okay? Jesus spits on the ground and, and, and makes mud. Now, kids, I don't know if uh, you ever made a, like a mud pie or something like that, you know, and used mom's favorite pie dish and, you know, got all the mud. That, that, it takes a lot of water, okay, to make mud. But, but Jesus didn't use water. Jesus used what? Spit. That's a lot of spit, Okay. But, you know, hey, Jesus, you know, he, he, he's the king of the world. You know, he, he could you know, do whatever he wants. But that's a lot of spit. And when you really think about it from the man's point of view, I'm kind of a germ freak. Uh, but this guy went from bad to worse. I mean, his circumstance. Because before he met Jesus, he was just blind. But after he met Jesus, he was blind with mud all over his eyes. Okay. So this is where we get the, the, the phrase, well, here's mud in your... No, I'm just joking. That's not where we get that. Uh, sounded good, right? But no, that's not right. Um, but that's a lot of spit. And now this guy has mud, and not just any mud, not mud made from, you know, a bunch of water. This was made from saliva. But, you know, it's Jesus' saliva, so I think my germ freak would be okay. At least I hope he would. Anyway, so, so let's go look at verse 7 says, Jesus told him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent, which is another violation of the Sabbath. And so the man went and washed and he came home seeing. And his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. In other words, people are arguing, is this the guy? Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. It looks like him, but I don't think it's him. No, no, no. It's him. And the guy says, no, no, no. It's me, guys. It's me. And so this guy, he, he, um, he, gets, he, he regains his sight, and he makes a, a beeline for home. And he goes home to tell his parents that he can, 
now see, and this argument breaks out over if this is the guy or not. And they're thinking, well, it looks like him. I don't know if it's him or not, because they don't understand how a blind man can now see. Verse 10 says, how then were your eyes opened, they asked. Now, I'm sure this guy is getting a little frustrated Okay, because he's going home. He's thinking, man, we're going to have a party now. Call all my friends. I, can, I was blind, but now I can see. And, uh, and they, they just keep asking him, how then were your eyes opened? And, and basically he says, they're, they're saying, we, we, need, we need more information. And he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. And don't ask me you know, how he made it. I don't want to go into that. But he put mud on my eyes and he told me to go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and I washed, then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know. I didn't get a good look at him, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Not only was I blind, but I had mud all over my face. I didn't get a good look at it. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. And now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. We'll talk about that in a minute. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and, he, and I washed and now I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But the others asked, well, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. So the Sabbath day, it was, it was from Friday, sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. And you weren't to do any work. You were to, it was a day of rest. It was a day to set aside and remember who God was. Remember what God had done. Tell stories about how, what God had done in your, uh, in your life and in your parents' life and your grandparents' life. And it goes all the way back to where, you know, God uh, had, you know, freed the people of Israel from, from captivity from the Egyptians and took care of them in the wilderness to tell all these stories, to enjoy God's blessings, to enjoy what he had given you, to enjoy uh, doing some things that, that, uh, that you enjoy doing that would bring rest and revive your soul from a long day, from a long week's worth of, of work, but it was a day set aside. And the problem was these, these religious leaders, they made up all these rules to, to keep people from, uh, uh, from, from violating the Sabbath. Like you couldn't do any work. You couldn't go plow your fields. It wasn't a catch-up day for, for a farmer. And so they made this rule to make sure nobody would go out and plow their fields. They made this rule that you couldn't drag your cane in the dirt because that was considered plowing, which was considered work. And so the Sabbath day was a day of rest and all these strict rules of what you could and could not do. And, and they're thinking, well, Jesus should have known better than to do a miracle on the Sabbath. And they're arguing about what God would and would not do on the Sabbath. Look at verse 17. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you said about him? He, it was your eyes he opened. And the man replied, He's a prophet? And they still did not believe that he had been blind. So now they think this whole thing has been a hoax. He's just been pretending to be blind. He's been sitting on the side of the road with these sunglasses, begging for money his whole life. It's all a hoax. 
But he says, they, they said that they still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he now can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age and he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah, the one that God had promised to rescue the people of Israel, would be put out of the synagogue. And this is why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So, so here's what it means to be put out of the synagogue. It was basically meant you were put out of society. That you could no longer attend church, couldn't come to the synagogue anymore. If you had a business that the Jewish leaders would tell everybody in the synagogue, you are not to do business with this family anymore. They had been put out of society. You couldn't receive health care that was given by the synagogue. You were put out. You were an outcast of society. And the parents are scared. And they said, we don't know. Ask him. Verse 24, a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, we know this man is a sinner. In other words, we know God. We know how he works. We know he wouldn't break the Sabbath. This man must be a sinner. Then they asked him. Oh, verse, verse 25 says, he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I don't know where he's from. I don't know what he looks like. I don't know where he's staying. I don't know if God heals on the Sabbath. The only thing I know, guys, and I've told you and I've told you and I've told you again, I once was blind, but now I see. That wasn't good enough for them. Verse 26. So then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly what happened in the room. I mean, that was the wrong thing to say. When he said that, everybody in the room went, ooh, you know. So, so let's, try, let's try that again. Let's kind of set this in a movie. Uh, he says, uh, why do you want to hear this again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly what happened. Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. In other words, Moses gave us the law. We know that God spoke to Moses, but for this fellow. So now we, we've like whittled down Jesus into this fellow and we don't even know where he comes from. In other words, this guy has to be a sinner. This guy did not obey all the rules we made up. He did not follow and do what we wanted him to do. And the guy's like, I don't care. I was blind, but now I see. And the man answered. Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, and he listens to a godly person who does his will. And nobody has ever heard of opening a man's eyes who was born blind. And if the man were not from God, he could do nothing. And so to this, they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. So we see this worldview coming up. 
that something bad happened to you because you must have done something bad. You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. And as we read this story, they treated him better when he was blind than after Jesus had had healed him. Verse 35. This is my favorite verse in the whole story. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. They'd thrown him out of synagogue. You can't help this person. This person can't come back here. We're not going to help him anymore. They had thrown him out. And when Jesus found him, don't miss that. Don't miss that. That Jesus went searching for him, just like he comes searching for us. And when you think about this man's life, this man hadn't done anything for God. This guy had been a blind beggar his entire life. He hadn't done anything good. He hadn't done any religious accomplishments. But yet, still, Jesus went and looked for him. You know why? Because Jesus loves him. Just like Jesus loves you, and he loves me. And Jesus comes looking for us, even when we don't deserve it. In fact, we never deserve it. But Jesus came looking for him and he said, do you believe in the son of man? In other words, do you believe in the Messiah, the one that God promised to redeem the people of Israel? Who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't you have some questions that need to be answered? Nope. Don't you need some things explained? Nope. Don't you want to know how things work? Nope. Don't you want to know how the whole mud... Nope, I don't. I don't need to know. All I know is I was once blind, but now I see. And he worshiped. And Jesus said, for judgment I have come into the world so that the blind will see. And those who see will become blind. And some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What are we blind to? And Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. In other words, what Jesus was saying to them is that I've come into the world to seek and save the lost. I've not come for those that that are well, I've come for those who are sick. I've come for those who need a doctor. I've come for those that are willing to admit that they need help, that they need a savior, that they need a living hope. That's why I'm here, is what Jesus said. So two observations, and then the band's gonna come about this passage. Two observations, and there's two false views of suffering that we can take with us in the world, okay? When, when things hit our lives, there's two false ways to look at it. One being anger and the other being guilt. And let's talk about anger for just a quick moment. Anger, remember the disciples said, was it his parents' fault that he was blind? You see, anger, when, when we respond in anger to suffering, anger looks externally for blame. That anger looks on the outside for someone to blame for my situation. So we blame our parents, we blame our spouse, we blame our friends, our boss. We even blame God. 
But, but, but when we respond in anger, we're looking for somebody else to blame. That's one false view of how to look at, look at suffering. Another false view is guilt. Remember the disciples, they said, was he born blind because God saw something in his future that he's paying for now? See, anger looks externally, but guilt, it looks internally to blame. That this must be happening to me because God is punishing me. This must be happening to me. This must be my fault because God is angry with me. You see, we need to understand that suffering exists because sin and rebellion came into the world and broke everything. And sometimes, sometimes suffering does happen in our lives because of our choices. Sometimes suffering happens in our lives because of other people's choices. And sometimes God just allows it. But here's the promise that we have from God is that he will not waste one tear. He will not waste one ounce of pain. And that no matter the reason why this suffering is happening in our lives, Jesus says that we can experience suffering so that God can do his redemptive work in us and through us. That God, when we're suffering, that he wants to be put on full display so that the people around us can see his power at work in us. And yes, the doctor's uh, report may not be what we want to hear, but but the, the peace and the hope and the contentment and the, still the joy that we, that we have, people are like, oh my God. Like, yeah, you're right. It is God who gives me this peace in this, in, in this moment of suffering. That, that suffering, that God doesn't want to waste one, moment, one ounce of suffering, that he wants to work his, his, his purpose in our lives to transform us into the image of Christ. He wants to work it for our good and for his glory, which means... Our suffering is not pointless and senseless. And that there is always a divine agenda in our midst. So the proper view of suffering is to focus on the cross. It's to focus on the suffering of Jesus for us. That he suffered on the cross so that he could buy us back from sin. He suffered on the cross to pay our sin debt in full. He was rejected on the cross so that we could be accepted. That he was forsaken on the cross so that we could be forgiven. He did that as our substitute. And all the anger, all the wrath, all the judgment for our sin went on Jesus. So that God is freed up then to love us and to receive us as his sons and daughters when we put our faith in him. And the band's going to come. I don't know if uh, you're going through any suffering right now. But if you are, the first question that we, that we want to ask is why? But that question is not really going to lead us to peace or hope or comfort. So if we're not going to ask why, what question can we ask? Well, the question that we need to ask is who? Who knows exactly what I'm going through? Who knows my heart better than I know my heart? Who knows my thoughts better than I know my thoughts? Who loves me more than my mama loves me? The answer is God. 
and he is with me. And his word says that he promises never to leave me nor forsake me. And if he didn't leave or forsake us while he was on the cross, he's, not, he's certainly not going to leave or forsake us now. And so take comfort in that. And know that somehow, some way, that God is painting on a canvas as big as the universe. And God can see forever in the past and forever in the future. And he's working things for our good. Somehow, some way. And he wants to put his power and his love and his compassion and his peace on full display for everybody around you. That they would see God. And somehow, some way, God would use that to focus their hearts and their minds on the cross.